Nice to see you today, and I had a challenging week. I don't know if you did, but uh, there was a lot of tough things that happened this week. One had to do with death, and so I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but death helps us remember uh, why we're here. It helps us remember what's important, and it helps us remember how we can live uh, with purpose, with significance, and live for things that truly matter. And so from that aspect, I think death is something that we should talk about, and, and death is something that does really allow us to speak volumes way beyond just ourselves. Uh, one of my neighbors had uh, a sister-in-law who passed away, and he does not love Jesus, not really interested in talking about Jesus, uh, but I try and talk to this neighbor. He seems like a cool guy from the conversations that we've had, and so he was talking to me about his sister-in-law, and he said that, you know, she was quick to help those in need. She worked in special education, and she worked in emergency health care, and she was genuinely compassionate. She stood up for what she believed in. That was kind of the end of what he wanted to say about his sister-in-law. Then, day before that, I'm at a different funeral. Some of you were there, and, and I heard of a different man who lived his life and, and could quickly point out humble service, except there really wasn't much talk of humble service. There was dozens and dozens of mission trips to Honduras where they fed, lived with, ate with, served alongside the poorest of the poor. But the stories and the tributes weren't about those things. They were, they were really there to, to gather to talk about God and what God did in one person. One of the, one of the comments that I heard was, uh, it was a beautiful day to celebrate an amazing life and legacy of a great leader, a man of faith, and a true example of what it means to live a God-glorifying life is significant. Somebody else said he was an example of, of godliness who, that was lived out every day. He, he showed us what it meant to be a godly spouse and a godly parent. And, and he had this amazing way of bringing people to Jesus or bringing Jesus up and wholeheartedly sharing with them all that he was. And that's how he inspired me to love others. I felt so honored to get to see him interact with me in our little small group. And, and so these stories resonated not of a great person, but of God in one person's life. And it got me thinking about the passage that we're looking at today. This episode from the Bible that's um, called John 15. And in this passage, Jesus shares some words. And one of the things that he says is that, that when we produce fruit, we show that we are true disciples of Jesus. And when we do that, that brings glory to God. Well, that sounds like a life of significance. That sounds like what we've been talking about. And, and that kind of comment as reflecting on that funeral, that kind of funeral, that's the kind of funeral that I, that I want. And I walked away from that funeral saying, yeah, that would be an amazing day if I got to have a funeral like that. And then I had to confess some sin of envy in comparison. And so uh, as I sat with Jesus about that, 
I really sense God saying, Rob, you have no control over what is going to be said at your funeral. And I would say the same to each of us. We have no control over what people would say. Even if we could script every sentence that was actually spoken from the front, there is no way that we could have every person that enters the lobby, that speaks about it before, after, whatever, control what they say. There is nothing we can do to change what happens at our funeral. But if we want that kind of funeral, then what kind of life do we want to live today? See, I think we have amazing input into that. Jesus shares with us some, some key calls to action here from this passage and from his comments in this, in this part of the, this episode of the Bible. And I think if we look at it through this lens, we will see how we can see if we are on target for this life of significance that really isn't about us, that really is all about God and about the life that he wants to live through us and in us, and that's for everyone. And so though we can't decide what is said at our funeral, we can greatly decide how we live today. And so we go to the scriptures and we hear from God in this, this idea. And if you have a Bible, you want to go to John 15. If you're just joining us, we've been in this series that we've called On Purpose for January, of what it means to live a life of significance. We've looked at the fact that a life of significance means eternal life with God. John 17, that we'll look at next week, says this is eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. That's eternal life. And, and we talked about this idea that, that to, to live a life of significance means eternal life comes above everything else. We talked about how there will be many obstacles to that, but Jesus offers us encouragement to get through those things. And, and today we look at these, these four actions that really help us know if we are on track for significance. So hear the words of Jesus today, starting in verse 9. Jesus said with his disciples, as they left the upper room and walked out, probably to the Garden of Gethsemane, as they walked along the way, maybe they stopped and even saw some, some grapevines. But it was dark, and I imagine him turning around to his disciples as they walked, and he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete, satisfied, not lacking anything. My command is this, that you love one another. Greater love has nothing than this, no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. You all are my friends if you do what I command. But I don't call you friends. I don't call you servants any longer. I instead call you friends. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business Everything I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last or remain forever, 
so that whatever you ask for in my name, my Father will give it to you. This is my command. Love each other. God, would you remind us today that that your words are not dead on a page, that you are not a history lesson or some moral encouragements, that you are life. Teach us to see and hear what we need to hear today, no matter where we are, so we can truly, truly know you. Amen. Well, like I said, I think there are four responses or four calls to action, four wake-ups, if you will, in this, in this admonishment, in this image-laden picture that Jesus gives his disciples. And, and the first one that I think Jesus is trying to get across to us, if we want to know and, and see this, that we're on target with this life of significance, is to what extent are we receiving Jesus' friendship? This is this call that he's saying, that, that he wants us to remain in him as he has remained in the Father. I would call that being friends with Jesus or receiving Jesus' friendship. And we can know that we are on track for significance if we are friends with Jesus. That might seem immature. That might seem simple. But I really think this is such a key part of our faith. That Jesus wants to be friends with us. Think about a best friend that you have. Now, maybe you're a type of best friend that loves to sit across from someone at a coffee shop where there's a big roaring fire and the smell of coffee is just kind of oozing from everyone and you can just see the heightened eyebrows, not necessarily because they're listening with intensity, but because the caffeine is just skyrocketed through. But they are listening with intensity. They are listening with passion because they know you, that they love you, and they care about you. They're not looking at the paper, they're not reading a book, and they're not checking their email or their Twitter or their Facebook. They are just simply with you, face to face, being open and vulnerable, sharing hopes, sharing fears, sharing fun, maybe tears. Now, I know that I'm an anomaly as a guy who loves to sit face to face with another guy because most guys don't love to do that. But part of why I love to do that is because I'm kind of a wimp and I look outside and I go, "Mm, well, it's pretty cold. So what I'd rather do, though, is I'd rather be skiing with a friend, a best friend, whether it's cross country or downhill. I don't really care. I'd rather be boating with a friend, any kind of boat. I don't really care. I might even just sit in a lake and lay on my back, you know, with a friend, so buddy system. Um, or I might go for a hike. Strap on those hiking socks that, you know, have the absorption so that after you hike 11 miles, you get to your fire and you make your little fire and you squeeze out your socks. Nothing says friendship like squeezing out the perspiration from your socks and seeing who packed what and sharing that and laughing and gazing up at the stars and hearing nothing but the the quiet of nature. See, these, these are images that Jesus wants us to have with him. He doesn't want us to have any kind of fear of coming to him or talking to him or fear of what we might bring up or that it's you know, too soon in our friendship to share those things. I think this is his call when he says, be my friend. 
He says everything that, that he has learned from God, he has shared with us. Do we share everything with Jesus? We, we can't truly have a significant life if we're not willing to share with Jesus. Some of us don't share with Jesus, though, because we think he's pretty selective. We really put Jesus in church and church in religion, and religion loves to choose people. Religion loves to say, this is what you have to do to be in, and this is what you do when you're out or don't do, so therefore, let us know, and then we'll choose you. So religion always has outsiders and outcasts. And the problem with that is the people who end up being outsiders and outcasts feel like outsiders and outcasts. But not so with Jesus. He's called a friend of sinners. He gets in trouble with the religious people because he hangs out with people who are outsiders or who feel like outsiders. So if it doesn't feel like you fit in with Jesus then, or fit in with religion, then you'll be right at home with Jesus. There's, there's no reason that you can't say, okay, I'm going to be friends with Jesus, at least from that aspect. You might think he might not choose you, but he says, I chose you. Jesus is the initiator. God has always been the initiator. When there was, the world was in chaos and, and life didn't exist, God speaks first and brings it forth into existence. When, when Abraham was sitting and worshiping moon gods, God came to him and called him, and he followed. Abraham didn't choose to follow God without God's prompting. Moses saves his people, but God prompts Moses. God saves Moses before Moses does anything for his people. God has always been the initiator. We don't have to wonder if we come to the table and sit with Jesus, if he's going to respond. He's been at the table. He's been on the hike. He's been at the lake. Wherever your friendship meets, that's where Jesus is. And we can receive it. And it's the first sign of knowing we kind of live into this significance. But sometimes we get stunted into thinking that me and Jesus is all I need. I know that's not proper grammar, but that's what we like to say. You know, Jesus and me, and that's all we do, and it's okay. In fact, you know, other people kind of mess up my relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've actually said that before. I would love God so much if it wasn't for these people around me. And yet a life of significance is filled with people. It's, it's the only thing that lasts. Is the soul of another human. It goes on for eternity. And so we, we can't think that loving God and loving others is separate. Jesus would say, yes, receive me as a friend because I've called you friend, but express my love to others. I think that's the second sign that, that really points us into this life of significance. It's certainly what, what he talks about in this passage. He says... Uh, he says in verses 12 and 13, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down their life for their friend. Now, when we think about loving others and what that call is, do we think, 
oh, me and Jesus, that's, I'll just go, or I guess I'll go and, and do some nice things for people? Or do we take that image and not separate them? That I sit with Jesus, and when I sit with Jesus, I can tell him anything. And from that place of being with Jesus, I can go express love for others. See, Jesus says, uh, come to me, all you who are tired and thirsty, weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. He calls himself the living water. He says from, from this place that it'll flow forth. He's actually quoting uh, from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says when he's talking about one day the Messiah will come, and he says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, you who have no money, come buy and eat. But we don't have any money. So how can we come and buy? But he says, come all you who are thirsty. See, somehow in the spiritual realm, somehow in this love of God that flows from Jesus, flows from God to Jesus and from Jesus to us, somehow in that, we are able to get something that we can't buy and that we can't earn. And the easiest way I can describe it is to actually think about it as water. Now I've got my, my water here and I've got Jesus' water. And I can try and love people, but it would kind of be like this if I'm really... Because mm. I am kind of thirsty. Me and Jesus, I know. I know, I'll just take some of Jesus' water for me because I'm thirsty. Mm. That's pretty good. And you know what? I might even put some in here. And then, you know, I, I don't want to be rude, so I'll get a clean cup. But I know Paul's thirsty, so I know God asked me to show love to him. So there you go, because I love you. And so, uh, well, I might might run out, but, well, you know, I just want to, I'm going to lay down my life for you. There you go. Now, it's only a little backwashed. And, and some of us, I mean, we, I'm not trying to be cute. This is how we see sharing love with others. We see it as, okay, I love God, and now I've got to go love other people. And, and we don't realize that these are totally connected. That's why he makes this image to the vine and the branches that I that sometimes confuses us, because they aren't separate. That yes, Jesus knows that we're thirsty. And he says, come, any of you, come and drink. And we can drink. But then he says, from this place where you've received my love, love one another. And so we simply for what Jesus has given us, and we share clean, unfiltered, pure, <laughs> not backwashed, living water of Jesus. You can see how much you trust me. <laughs> and when we do this right, the world notices. See, to sit and be vulnerable with Jesus, that... that we have to work through the things we talked about. But when we express love for others, we also have to see that 
that God calls us into community. So we have to be vulnerable with others. We have to be open with others. We have to live and express our faith with others. And so this is why we make life groups such a big deal at Restoration, because we could come and we could have me and Jesus time and we could talk to some people and say hi because we're mid-sized groups so we can sort of know some people and we can sing together and we can hear the word together and we can pray. We might even give a little and then, and then we can go and we can say, yes, that was love of loving God. But that's not what Jesus says. He says that if you love me, you will love others. And so that same kind of intimate, vulnerable, open, trusting relationship that that our world likes to categorize as needy and insufficient or codependent is exactly what Jesus calls us to. And when we do it, we are able to you're able to experience life together, talking and praying and wrestling with scripture, agreeing, disagreeing, laughing, crying. And, and this God who is invisible becomes visible. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. The most profound thing at 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 this funeral, I guess in particular because it's recent, but as I think about it, the many funerals I've been to, is when, you, when, when someone that cared about that person and you who cared about that person, when you start talking and all of a sudden you realize you care about each other, you do something at funerals that you never do anywhere else. You embrace. For, for awkward periods of time. And the Spirit is there. This is what life is supposed to be. This is what God calls out to us. And this, at times, we could do it better. But at times, this is exactly what can happen in a life group. And it happened in one that we wanted to just tell you about. So take a look at the screen for a couple minutes here. Hi, I'm Jordan Nims, and I just want to take a minute to talk to you about what being a part of the life group at Restoration Covenant Church means to me. Uh, we were attending a church where we felt like we were getting a little lost in the mix, and we were having a hard time making connections. And then we came to Restoration in 2011 and started attending our life group in late 2011. Right away we felt very welcomed, and just right at home. We quickly made friends that we were diving into scripture with and uh, praying for one another in difficult times and getting to know each other. Um, and it was a way for us to be able to talk about scripture and dive into it more than you might normally, see what it means from other perspectives. Uh, it was just a very, um, we knew that we wanted to be a part of a life group. We didn't know it was going to be as important to us as it is. Uh, not just for the scripture and the learning, uh, but also to have this family that we have now. On December 15th, uh, I went into the emergency room with pancreatitis. I was in the hospital for nine days. I was in the ICU for eight days, and I was in a coma for two days. During that time, we were very blessed. My mom came out from California, and my wife Tracy's mom came out from California to watch our four-year-old son, Logan, during that time. 
so that my wife could be with me and uh, help me make some of the decisions I needed to make. Um, during that time, our life group was there for us. Um, they took Logan in, he stayed the night at a friend's house, uh, anything they could do to help us out. And we felt very touched, very blessed. And it was something that you, you never expect in life. And it's, it's what you get with family. And it was an incredible blessing. Um, we didn't have the time to do the shopping that we had hoped we could do. When I came home on Christmas Eve, we found a big sack of toys that the life group had gone out and purchased for Logan. And it gave him the Christmas that we wanted him to have. Um, you know, what we do in life group, it's not a Bible study. It's something that we come together, and we learn, we walk together, and we live life together. See, Jesus says, I have chosen you and appointed you to go bear fruit. Which to me says that we don't grow in our faith all by ourselves. That we grow in our faith and it's demonstrated when we express it to others. That, that Jesus does want to restore us. He wants to fill us. He wants to make sure that we're living, actually living. But, but how do we know that we, when we express that, that it's his water? that it's something that we can give away. Because you're thirsty, I bet I can see it. And, and so we pour that out. We express that to others. We go and bear fruit. You look thirsty too, so I'm going to share that. But, but sometimes, how do we know that it's not just what the Rotary Club might do or the Salvation Army might do or the United Way might do? I mean, these are good places. I'm not knocking them, but, you know, sometimes... We can give stuff out, and no matter how good we are, sometimes a little bit of ourself goes in there. So, you look thirsty, so I thought I'd give you. And, and there's only a little backwash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not so, not so great. But this is why these things aren't disconnected. We can be friends with Jesus, and we can express that love for Jesus. But unless we accept Jesus' lordship, our own stuff goes in. We have to admit that we are broken, that we're separated from God. And, and he says that, I think, through this confusing image of a vine and a branch. He says at the beginning of the chapter, I'm the true vine, and my father's the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And then he says, you are already clean because you've heard the word I've spoken to you. See, we have to realize that, that this isn't about whether we have poured a lot of ourselves into the cup or a little bit into the cup, whether we 
believe exactly the right things or do exactly the right things. This is about the fact that that because of sin, we are separated from God. And he doesn't leave us separated. Through Jesus' life and death, he restores us. That's why he's the vine, the Father's the gardener, and we're the branches. The only way that we can make sure that we are passing out Jesus' water is to say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. And I would say the fourth thing is to remain connected to Jesus. Also not separate, but related. So, Jesus be Lord, wash over me. Washing and cleansing in Scripture is always a reference to, to forgiveness, to being made whole, to being made clean. And we are clean not by doing anything, but by hearing the word spoken by Jesus. When Jesus speaks forth the word, life comes out. He's the vine. The branches sprout forth. When God speaks, he speaks life into existence. It's the same thing, and it's the same for us. Those who hear my words, Jesus says, those are my followers. He ends every parable, or most parables, with, he who has ears, let him hear. This is how we believe that Jesus is is the Savior. This is how we let him wash over us and make us clean. Not because of what we do. Not because of if we chose or not. Not because of how much we could express. That's why my friend's description of his sister-in-law is okay, but it's insufficient. Just because she did nice things for people or expressed compassion or helped at an emergency shelter or special education, that that doesn't cleanse her. And it doesn't cleanse me. I'm separated as much as the next person. But I'm a branch. I don't have to be the source. I just have to receive the source and hang on to the source. And this source is one that will never run out, so I never have to worry that this will... be emptied. In fact, the more I pour it out, the more God will fill it. And, and so an image and a vine and a branch and water, it still might be all confusing. Jesus was confusing all the time. So if I'm confusing today, yay, I was like Jesus. But I think this, this picture that, um, that actually Carrie wrote about, I think this describes what we're talking about here, of what it truly means. See, Carrie sent me a text at 9 o'clock at night that she couldn't help me on last Saturday because she was going to go visit a friend. And um, I wasn't upset, but I, I, you know, she had said that this friend's husband was going to have surgery. And surgery today, really, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, what used to take five to seven days in the hospital is now considered same-day surgery. I mean, they can do things in surgery that we forget is, that are miracles, so I, I was like, well, gosh, a surgery. Really? You want to drive, drive a couple, you know, over an hour to go see him? And it's not like it was his first surgery. I mean, he'd had several surgeries. And, and in one sense, it might not have even been that serious because he'd had so many serious surgeries. See, he had a virus that attacked his heart. And it caused his heart to start to die. And because his heart died, his kidneys started to shut down. And his kidneys started to die. 
So they, had to, they tried pacemakers, they tried antibiotics, they tried all kinds of things. They even installed an artificial heart to try and keep his body going. But they said, if, if a real one doesn't come soon, you're just not going to make it. And the only thing these people had was their faith that somehow God would make a way. And so Carrie puts herself at risk and drives through a snowstorm, lays her life down, but it wasn't just to lay her life down. It wasn't just to be there because of a surgery because he'd had several surgeries. The reason she laid her life down was because this surgery could be the surgery that ended the surgeries. And Lord willing, it will be. They got a call that said, there's a match, a heart and a kidney that, that are for you. We want to operate at midnight. Are you ready? See, this, friends, this is life. That our hearts are artificial. Some of our hearts are artificial and have no virus, but they'll run out. Others of our hearts, they do have a virus. And so no matter what we do, we can't help but put a little coffee in the, in the water we're trying to give, and it's not because we're bad people. It's simply because our heart is not connected to the living water, to the blood of Jesus. But in a spiritual sense, it's exactly what he calls us to. He calls us to have heart surgery. But when he puts the new heart in, then we never have to worry about being disconnected. And because we share the heart of Jesus, we can literally be friends with Jesus and not have to fear of any vulnerability, of any openness, or any putting up any guards. That because we share the heart of Jesus and because Jesus' heart was pounded and damaged and brutally beaten and killed and resurrected, we can risk our hearts with other people expressing love, being vulnerable, being in intimate relationships, connected relationships, honest relationships, relationships that give life to others because this heart is not going to be changed. It's not going to be damaged. It's Jesus' heart. And as long as it remains in us, we have life. This is not an artificial heart that will ever shut down. This is what I think Jesus is getting at when he says that you are clean if you hear my word. And then he goes on and he says that we remain in him and when we remain in him, he remains in us. And we can't bear fruit with an artificial heart. No branch bears fruit by itself. It has to remain connected to the vine. And you and I must remain connected. But when we do, Jesus reminds us that he's the vine and we're the branches and that if we remain in him, we can bear fruit. We don't have to work at it. It'll happen. And apart from him, we can do nothing. We can sit and talk about whether or not we have a virus or whether or not we have an artificial heart. Or we can just be thankful that Jesus Christ is willing, ready, and inviting us to put his heart in us that we might live. Come, you who are thirsty, come and drink. Come to the waters. Come, you who have an artificial heart or you who have a, a virus in your heart. Come, Jesus is the healer.
We are a community of people being restored by Jesus. That's what we mean. So how are you doing as you look at your last week? Were you striving? Were you driving in your own efforts? Were you exhausted? Were you in despair because of death or hardship? Or even though those things may have been hard, you still felt the heartbeat of God. Not to say, yeah, I'm awesome. But to bear fruit in your life and to others. This is Jesus' life, his word, and his waters. Let's pray. God, as we think about how we lived and our efforts, if we live by our own power or your power, we ask the question just to be honest. Don't ask the question to try and guilt ourselves, or I don't ask the question to try and guilt anyone here. But just sitting with you and reading this passage over and over this week, that's what I get the sense that you're calling us to. So may you be our friend, and, and may we respond in friendship to you in that, that a response that gives life to others. And may we not do it in our own strength. May we put you as Lord and may we stay connected to you, God. Wherever we are, wherever we're at, we want to be honest with you. We want the new heart. Give it to us, God. We're desperate for you. Amen.